Will you stand with me as we read God's holy word this morning? Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 31. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this timely word. And as, Lord, we close our study through the book of Acts. Thank you for meeting us all along the way. Thank you for this journey that has challenged and grown us, that has expanded our hearts to believe more than we did before, that we worship a living God, that you are active in your church and that you desire to see your kingdom come to every inch of your creation, beginning in us. 
And so, Lord, here we are. We're asking for you to do what only you can do. Keep going. We know there's more. We're not even sure what that looks like. We know we're resisting in different ways. Would today be the day of freedom and wholeness and healing? Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We yield to you and surrender. Lead us, even as we look at your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you have seen the movie The Big George Foreman? Let me see your hands. I didn't expect too many. It did not get a lot of love. Um, But if you've not seen it, I want to encourage you to put it on your queue. This is a movie worth watching. Let me explain a little why. It tells George's story. It's his bio. So as a little boy, uh, he grew up in a very poor household in a very poor part of town, and he was picked on incessantly, and he turned towards violence. Anger was his friend. Because he was bigger, it served him well. In fact, it worked so well that as a young man, he won the gold medal for the United States of America in boxing. It worked so well that he went on to beat who? Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier, right? He beat Joe Frazier straight up won the heavyweight championship of the world as a 24-year-old man. He was a monster of a man, a mountain, but on the inside, on fire. And it worked really well. And for those of you who have anger that boils on the inside of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It works well until it doesn't. For you see, in his story... He had a smarter boxer, Muhammad Ali, who wore him down by hanging out on the ropes, and Foreman was going after him, and all Muhammad had to do was wait till he wore himself out, and then he took down George Foreman, and he lost the heavyweight championship of the world. But it wasn't just that that he lost. He then lost his family because he had been cheating on his wife and feeling justified about it because he was angry at the world. He lost everything, and he had to die. Wait, what? Yeah. You see, there's this point in the movie, in his story, where his sister, whom he loved, has a baby, and that baby is on basically life support. They take it to the NICU. It doesn't look good. And it's at that moment that Foreman breaks, and he falls to his knees as he was not wanting to do. He was resisting God his entire life because he was angry, listen, at God. If you struggle with anger, please make no mistake about it. The one person you're most angry with is him because you have been duped into believing a lie that he does not love you and he is not for you. That is a lie from the pit of hell, friends. And today we put it behind us. Today is your day. So his sister's baby is dying. He falls to his knees and he prays this prayer. She's done nothing wrong. Why would you take her baby? Take me instead. And God says, okay. (laughs) And so after his next fight, George Foreman loses again, goes back to the locker room, 
and has a cardiac arrest and dies on the table. He dies. And when they bring him back to life, he sits right back up on that table and he says, I just met Jesus. And from that point forward, his life is forever changed. He's baptized immediately because he wants to walk in a new life, a life where instead of resisting God and being angry at him, he's come to know a God who actually lives and speaks and is for him, and he wants to begin listening. And so here's what he does. He leaves boxing to become a pastor. He leaves, he's literally the number one contender in the world. He's set up for a rematch with Muhammad Ali, and he walks away from boxing because he's listening to the Lord. And he becomes a preacher. Not only does he have a new calling, he also has a new wife. His first marriage, remember, failed because of his infidelity. God says, I want you to learn to do this my way. I want you to learn to be faithful to your wife, to love and honor her and respect her. And he marries a woman that knows and loves Jesus. And boy, do they have an amazing marriage from that point forward. But it's not just a new wife. He also gets a new mission. His new mission is to actually care for the teens in down-and-out communities to build youth centers so that there can be a gathering place that isn't about breaking the rules and get yourself in trouble, but is about being mentored by those who have gone before you so that you can have a better life, a new calling, a new wife, a new mission. Why are we talking about George Foreman this morning? Well, one, because I want you to see the movie. It's really worth watching. But second, because God's good news, in case you missed it, in the passages that Kristen read for us, is all about him speaking if we're willing to listen. It says at the end of, of the book of Acts that for two years Paul was under house arrest and the gospel went out unhindered. All who were willing to listen received their word from the Lord. Are you willing? Today is actually the last day of our study through the book of Acts. We've gone through Luke now we've gone through Acts. I'm actually quite sad. This has been a profound two years of studying God's word and opening it up and watching God move in us and grow us to believe and to live like Jesus lived, like the apostles lived, and like he's calling us to now live. In case you didn't hear it, we're going into the book of Joshua next. And so buckle up, friends. If you thought this was crazy, it's about to get real nutty in here, okay? <laughs> But the beautiful thing is, God wants us to know at the very end of this book that there is nothing and no one who will stand in the way of him coming for you. There is nothing and no one who can stand in the way of God's pursuit for you. It's what we talked about last week. If you missed that sermon, go listen to it and be encouraged in your souls. This is our God. But this morning, the theme is simple. As we end our time in Acts, God has good news for all who will listen. It is that simple, friends. We, Acts started with this. Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you power to go out and be my witnesses. Remember what it means to witness Jesus. It's not just declaring with our mouth. It is walking with our actions. Yes, in how we love and care for one another, but also in how we drive back the darkness. Everywhere Jesus went, he did three things. What are they? Preach the good news. Heal the sick cast out demons. 
Everywhere he went, he did those three things. Then he turns to his disciples and says, now you go do it. And then he turns to his church and says, now you go do it. And friends, as we have heard that call, what we have seen is nothing short of heaven on earth. Again and again and again. God setting captives free. God healing hearts and bodies. But all for the purpose of the kingdom. Go out and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So the whole world can know that God himself has put on your skin. That he gets you more than you think he does. That he's already taken care of everything you could be afraid of. And that he's already won. All we need to do is live into that victory. He's already won for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's dig in here, huh? So this passage is all about God's favor. I hope you saw that. It's all about God's favor. Three months of rest on the Isle of Malta. Do you remember how Paul got there? Shipwrecked after 14 days in a nor'easter. Does that sound like fun to anyone? Anyone want to be on ship for 14 days in a nor'easter? Not so much, right? That's not exactly our idea. He could have grumbled, in other words. He could have been upset. God, why are you letting this happen to me? I thought you loved me. I thought you were sending me to Rome. But Paul continued to keep his eyes on the prophetic rhema, spoken word of Jesus to him. And as he did, what he saw was nothing could get in the way. Not the storms, not the rulers, not his enemies. Nothing could get in the way. Was it a struggle? You bet it was. But all along the way, as Paul chose to lean into Jesus, he found all the reason he needed to actually give thanks. We've talked about Thanksgiving here before, many times over, as a weapon. Don't miss it. Choosing to give thanks ministers to your own heart. As you wield the sword, the weapon of thanksgiving, here's what you do. You, you lift your eyes way high above the waves, above the storm, and you see there all the reason that you need to be grateful and thankful. I know you can. I know you will. I can trust you no matter what. Why? Because the one who's greater than the storm is your friend. He's your savior. He's your brother. He's Jesus. Paul wields the weapon of thanksgiving. And he invites us to do that from the very beginning of our passage for this morning. But please don't miss what happens in our passage. Paul goes to Rome. Rome is the capital city of the enemy. The enemy. They call Caesar the son of the living God. God incarnate. Who does that sound like to you? Right? It is the epicenter of darkness. And Paul is taken there as a prisoner. It looks like Paul has lost. And for two years, Paul's under house arrest, which means he can't leave his home. So all of the Jews come to him. Did you miss it? Amen. They all come to him to hear the good news that Paul has been sent to Rome by God to bring. Sometimes in our lives, friends, it feels like we are simply prisoners. Don't miss God's assignment. Don't miss his calling in the middle of that. Don't miss what God's doing in and through even your suffering because our God has promised to work precisely there in our lives. Some of you have already begun to see that, haven't you? It's wonderful to see. It's so refreshing. 
when you start to see with your eyes what you've believed with your heart, you need to share your stories because there's others around you who have not seen yet. I see some of you even here this morning. You've been waiting for answers. You don't have them yet. You need to hear from those who've waited longer than you and who have finally started to see with their eyes what they've believed with their heart. Choose gratitude, friends. Believe that the one who has spoken to you, that the one who loves you, is the one who's not going to leave you. It may look different than you think, but he is at work in your life. As they gathered to this house of prison, this prison house, and heard the gospel, did you hear? Some believed. Hallelujah. Some believed. But most did not. And in case you missed it, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, which is where my tattoo comes from. Vasar avonecha. It means your guilt is taken away. It comes from Isaiah's call to ministry when he sees the heavens opened up and he sees Yahweh God on the throne, the seraphim behind them, and he falls to the ground. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips and I've seen the Lord of hosts. He thinks he's about to die because he's in God's presence. And when you're in God's presence, if you've ever been there, no, let me say this differently. For all of us who are scared of being there because we know what it means, regardless of your degree of experience, you get what happens with Isaiah. He falls to the ground and then he points to the very thing that God's calling him to use. He wants, God wants him to be a prophet and he says, my mouth is broken. I, I'm, a peop, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. I need you to do something. Do you remember what happens? The seraph leaves the throne of God and goes to the altar and grabs a burning coal and he burns Isaiah's lips and he says, Behold, the sar avonecha, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And then God says, Now, who shall I send to my people to speak on my behalf? And Isaiah says, Here I am, Lord, send me. God equipped Isaiah to do what he's calling Isaiah to do. That is my story, friends, but it is also yours. It is our story as the people of God that God is calling us to do something and equipping us to do something. But here's the issue that we keep running into. Too often in our lives, we say, no. Too often in our lives, we're afraid of what that could mean and we give in to fear. And what does that look like? It means we, we do this great exchange. It's on the screen right here. We exchange revelation for control. We say, it's too scary to think about a God who is, is going to navigate my life and speak to me, and I'm going to have to try to discern, is this God's word or is this not God's word for me? Is this God speaking? Is this something else speaking? And uh, maybe you've been hurt in the past because of people making mistakes along those lines. You have all this damage and all this baggage that you're bringing. And so here's what we say. That doesn't happen anymore. God doesn't speak. All we need is the written word. That's all we need. And we're good once we have the written word. But please don't miss why Paul brings this up at the end of Acts. It's because he's making this point. When you deny the prophetic, the spoken word of God, you undermine the written word of God. When you deny, listen, the fulfillment of the written word of God, you're not building your life on the written word of God. You're denying it. You're denying it, which is precisely what's happening in this passage. Paul points 
to Isaiah because the people of Isaiah's time, which was 700 years beforehand, guess what they were doing? Exactly what Deuteronomy 28 said they would do. If you turn to other gods and worship them, all of these curses are going to fall upon you. Well, God's people turned to other gods and were worshiping them. So God sends Isaiah to them to speak this reminder. Hey, I already told you this is what's going to happen. And then in Deuteronomy 30, it says, when you do this, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be taken away into exile. What are they about to do? What's, what's Isaiah's message to them? You're going to be taken into exile. But the promise in Deuteronomy 30 is the promise that we hold on to in Christ. When all this stuff happens to you and you're lost beyond compare, beyond your imagination, know this, I'm going to come find you and I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to cut off the things that are dead and getting in the way so that you can begin to believe the truth about me. That's what Isaiah was sent to do, to confirm the written word of God. But because the people of his day did not like what he had to say, here's where they banked, where they camped out. We're the chosen people. God has chosen us. He's never going to abandon us. We're going to camp out on those written promises rather than on the things that God has said around them and our responsibility for keeping them. So they undermined the written word of God because they didn't want to hear the prophetic word of God. Are you following me? It matters that you are because this is generational sin, friends. It's been the way from the beginning. And you see it in Paul's day. What does Jesus say? How much of the Old Testament is fulfilled in him? Wait, say that again. I couldn't hear you. All of it. The law, the prophets, and the writings. As he's walking the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, Luke 24, he says, what didn't your heart burn within you as Jesus opened up the scriptures and showed us how all of it is fulfilled in him? And so for the Jews of Jesus' day to say no to Jesus, don't miss this, they were saying no to the prophetic fulfillment of what was written about Jesus, the entire Old Testament. But let's just take Isaiah, for example. Isaiah chapter 7. A virgin shall give birth. This shall be the sign for you. Isaiah chapter 9. This Messiah figure, he is going to be God most high. The everlasting father, the prince of peace. Isaiah 11, when he comes, he's going to bring peace that goes beyond anything you could ever imagine. Children will stick their hands in cobra's dens and not be stung. Lions and lambs will lie down together and there will be no more killing. That's the kind of shalom that this promised king is going to bring. And how is he going to do it? Isaiah 53, by suffering, by being a suffering servant, by going to the cross and carrying our iniquities and all of our shame. So that... Isaiah 61, the spirit of the living God could fall upon him and he could be the one to preach the good news to the captives, restore sight to the blind, and declare the year of the Lord's favor to all who will listen. So that Isaiah 65 and 66, there could be a new creation, the mountain of God that all the nations flock to so that they can taste and see exactly why we as humans were even made in the first place. That's just a cursory 
review of one book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and all of it points to Jesus. But when we are afraid and we resort to control, we reject and deny the possibility of the prophetic, of the fulfillment of the written Logos word. And therefore, we undermine that Logos because we're afraid of the rhema, the spoken prophetic word. It happened from generation to generation to generation, and it's happened in ours as well. There is a doctrine called cessationism that has been taught since the time of the Reformation. 1517, John Calvin, well, Martin Luther, 1517, but John Calvin after him is the one who actually spelled this out. And here's what cessationism says. Don't expect that there is going to be any supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit. No prophetic words, no healings, no resurrections, none of that stuff. Here's why. Because that supernatural stuff was designed by God to validate the canon of Scripture. And once the canon and that foundational level of the church was laid, there's no more reason for the supernatural. Just pause for a second and think about, just say that out loud again to yourself. Does that make any sense whatsoever? That if, if we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to lay the foundation of the church, that we wouldn't somehow need that same Holy Spirit to build on that foundation? Does that even make sense? Not only does it not make sense, but with all due respect to Calvin, he was dead wrong. Because it's not even biblical in its foundation. And if you have questions about that, we can, you can buy me coffee all day long, and I'll gladly go into it. Or I can point you to this resource again. Why I'm Still Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit by Jack Deere. If you've not read it, you're doing yourself a disservice. Read it. He goes into detail about the history that I'm sharing with you right now. And here it is simply. When, when there was a reformation in the church, it was because the Pope himself was selling indulgences, basically making money off of the forgiveness of sins so he can build St. Peter's in Rome. How many of you have been to St. Peter's? Yeah. Did you know its history? Now you do. Not as pretty anymore, is it? He was selling the forgiveness of sins. And so it makes sense that those who love Jesus would be pushing back against that. But here's what Calvin did. He made a huge mistake. He said, the Catholics are basing their authority on the miraculous. Look at all of these Catholics that are doing all these crazy miracles. We have to remove that authority. So we're going to simply put it in the scriptures the written scriptures, and we're going to deny the supernatural so that the Catholics don't have any more authority. They don't have this kind of in their back pocket as their trump card. We're removing their trump card. Do you see how the pendulum swung too far to the other side? Because when you deny the power of God while preaching the good news of God, you are not preaching the gospel. Those are Paul's words. And so this morning, friends, as we think about in our own day the reasons why we're afraid, the things that maybe have hurt us in the past, the ways that we're like, ah, that makes me scared, so I want to close my eyes, just like the, what is that, the 8th century B.C. people of Israel and the 1st century A.D. people of Israel 
when we want to close our eyes to what God is speaking now, we miss what he's doing. And not just what he's doing, but we miss what he's promised to do. We undermine the Bible when we, we neglect or reject, rather, the, the veracity of and the invitation to the spoken word of God. And so where do we see this? Well, we see it all over the place in the prophets, the gospels, the epistles, really the entire Bible. But let me give you some examples of what this looks like. What has been prophesied about this Holy Spirit era that we live in? John 14, 18 to 19 and 21, I will not leave you as orphans. These are Jesus' words in the upper room to his disciples. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Do you see the difference here? The world isn't going to see me, but you are going to see me. How is that going to be possible? Well, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What on earth does that mean if it doesn't mean that Jesus is going to supernaturally show up in the lives of those who give their hearts completely over to him? manifesting himself to us for the sake of the church and the mission that he's called us on. This is Jesus' promise to his church. Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, all flesh, all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. If you keep reading, it talks about dreams and visions and all this other outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise. And part of the cessationist argument is, well, yeah, that's to lay the foundation of the church. So the book of Acts, once it happens, it's done. Here's the big problem with that. Just keep reading the Bible. 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Do you, do you see how God has already spoken to your heart about your fears about prophecy? What's, what's the point of prophecy again? It's to shame the people who are getting it wrong, right? No, no, no. It's to speak your mind, finally. Finally, I get this opportunity. I've been waiting to speak to you for a long time. Thus saith the Lord, meaning me, right? And I'm going to tell you what's on my mind. Wrong. He tells us the purpose of prophecy. Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Translation. If you have ever received a prophetic word from someone who says, hey, I've been praying for you, I feel like the Lord's put this on my heart, and it hasn't been for upbuilding, encouragement, or consolation, guess what it's not? It's not from the Lord. It's not prophetic. Do you hear that? It doesn't mean that God doesn't, through his Holy Spirit, convict us of sin. It doesn't mean that he can't use you to convict others of sin. It's simply saying that even if you have something to bring to someone, your aim is upbuilding encouragement and consolation, not shame or guilt. Do you hear the way the Lord has already spoken to our biggest fears when it comes to this stuff? Hear the heart of Jesus when he's riding into Jerusalem when he's getting ready to go to the cross, the week of passion, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me translate that for you. Jesus, the prophetic fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, has been rejected by the people called chosen in the Old Testament. And he says, my heart has always been to gather you. It's clear who I am. And you have chosen to reject me. You were not willing to receive my love because you were afraid of what it was going to cost you. There was something going on inside that caused you to stay in control and to substitute revelation for control. Here's what's going to have to change. You will not see me again until you say, what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, you're not going to see me until you agree that I'm even possible. That the prophetic in person is a possibility. If you've already discounted that, you're never going to see me. It's the same thing that Jesus says every time he's going to heal someone. What's his first question? It's always about faith. What do you want? What do you believe? If you don't believe Jesus can heal you, guess what's not going to happen? You're not going to be healed. If you don't believe Jesus loves you, guess what you're never going to receive? His love. If you don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh and is promising to manifest himself to you your entire life, guess what you're never going to see? Jesus manifested in your life. He does not force himself upon us. He invites us into intimacy, communion with him. But friends, we have to be willing to face our fears and let go. God has good news for all of us who will listen. The good news went out unhindered. We talked about that already. Life with the living God. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Because in case you missed it, you have to die in order to hear. And that's our struggle. We say, yes, I'm willing to die as long as there's still a heartbeat. Yes, I'm willing to sur surrender control as long as I'm still in control. Yes, I'm willing to say yes to you, Lord, as long as it doesn't mean X, Y, or Z. Are you willing to die? And I don't mean once. I mean a lifetime of death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. There are some of us in this, this room right now and listening online who have said this to the Lord. I've died enough. I've died enough. I don't want to die anymore. Can I tell you, you're angry with God. You're angry with him because of what's happened in your life. But can I speak his truth to you right now? Will you listen? He's not okay with what's happened in your life either. You've thought he was okay with it. In fact, you've thought he was the one who did it. When the reality is, friends, your theology's been wrong the whole time. God's not okay with sin and brokenness, and he doesn't bring that. He redeems it. Amen. And so in your life, where you're holding on to that anger, Realize anger is a secondary emotion. You're afraid. You're afraid. And 
He wants to set you free today. But you've got to be willing to die. Die to your right to be angry with him. Die to your right to be in control. Die to your right to feel safe. There is nothing in this world that is safer than being in the presence of God. It does not mean you're not going to suffer. He's already promised that. It simply means you're never going to suffer alone. In the movie, George Foreman, as you continue to watch, you think this is going to be a happily ever after story. And then all of a sudden, a few years in, you learn that the guy that George put in in, in charge of his finances basically does a really poor job and loses all of his money. He loses everything again. And you're like, okay, this guy had millions. He's started youth clubs, right? He's got all this good stuff going in his life. He's a pastor. Why is God doing this to him? Did you hear your own voice there? God isn't doing this to him, but God is using this for him. What do I mean? Well, George and his wife learned to listen to the Lord when their lives were turned around, upside down. And in this moment, they learned to listen again because his wife did not want him to go into boxing. and She was against it until one night she had a vision. She saw her husband win the world championship in boxing again. And so George believes what he has heard from his wife, and he enters back into the boxing world as a man in his 40s. He's old enough to be these other guys' dads. And so for all you youngsters out there, keep listening, because you're about to hear a dad strength kind of story, so don't mess with your dads, okay? All right? We may look old, but we're tough. Because what happens with George is simply this. He starts winning and winning and winning. And then he has a bout against Evander Holyfield, the heavyweight champion of the world. And he loses by decision, but makes so much money, he could be good to go. He could quit right there. And you know what George says? No. We've heard from God, and we are going to pursue what God has called us to pursue. So that two years after that fight, George Foreman, at 45 years old, 45 years old, becomes the oldest heavyweight champion in boxing history. And not only that, while he's doing this second stint in boxing, and everyone loves the feel-good story because George isn't fueled by anger anymore, he's got this big smile on his face, even when he's boxing. You're just like, what's up with this dude? What's up with this dude? He's heard from the living God. He knows who he is. And he's on mission, even for those other boxers. So that when George Foreman, a big, heavy dude, gets on TV and says, this grill is going to help you lose some pounds. Everyone and their brother buys the George Foreman grill, which, by the way, was terrible. It took all of the juices out of the meat and gave you dry meat every time. Why did we buy those? Because George Foreman made immeasurably more money selling grills 
than he ever made boxing. So that as he kept saying yes, because he heard from the Lord, suddenly his youth centers have funding for generations. Not just for his lifetime, but for lifetimes after lifetimes after lifetimes. This is what God does. This is who he is. Friends, you see this on our screen. Deeper intimacy, expanded authority, multiplied mission. I want you to know those are my prayers for me and for you every single day. Lord, will you deepen our intimacy so that our hearts are more yours, so that we can know your love like we were designed to know it, so that we can hear your voice and know it's yours. And as we do, would you help us to walk in expanded authority so that the kingdom of darkness is pushed back, so that more and more of us and more of the people in our lives can be free and know what it means to be whole in Christ. And will you then multiply our mission as we go out from this place? Because it's not about us just feeling good. It's literally about us going out and seeing the gates of hell torn down. So, beloved, as I'm praying this, My question for you is, will you pray it with me? Will you pray it for yourselves? And will you pray it with us for each other? Deeper intimacy, expanded authority, and multiplied mission. The God who has called us together to be a church and empowered us with the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the one who sends us on our way He is moving mountains, friends. Three times this week, I had the privilege of watching him set captives free. Three times. But that's not enough. I want to see everyone in here free. I want to see everyone in here equipped to help others get free and be healed. I want to see the kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you see Jesus... God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, draw near. And love his people. And make them whole. And set them free from oppression and lies that they have believed their entire lives. Because our enemy is a child abuser. When you see God come and set people free, It changes your life. There's nothing you want more than for everyone to know that, friends. That is who we are. That is where we're going. If you'll simply listen. Yes, Lord. I choose to die even today to my self-protection and self-control. Yes, Lord. I choose to lay down my fear and my shame. Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. That's his invitation. Yes, Lord, I choose today to do that so that I can know your love like never before and walk in your power and authority like never before and watch as your kingdom comes like never before. Beloved, that's the next season of our lives together. I hope and pray you will join us. I hope and pray you will surrender and lean in.
it is not going to be easy. It is going to cause us to have to face our fears. We are going to struggle. But hear me. We have already won. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. And now, we're going to go. Let's pray. Jesus, there is no one like you. You are breathtaking. You are glorious and good. You are faithful and kind. And you want to set us free. It's why you've come. You want to make us whole. It's why you've come. You want to raise the dead, both spiritually and physically. It's why you've come. So here we are, Lord. Would you show us right now, God, the places in our hearts and in our minds where we are enslaved to fear and we've taken the bait of control. Holy Spirit, would you show us now? Whatever the Lord has just shown you, can I lead you in a prayer? You can whisper this after me. Jesus, forgive me for giving into fear. Forgive me for the people that I've hurt. Forgive me for believing the lie that you're not good, that you're not for me, that I can't trust you. I renounce my right to remain angry at you in Jesus' name. And I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come. Heal me. Wash me clean. And then empower me to walk in your authority, on your mission. Spirit of fear, you have no authority here. We bind you in Jesus' name. We tell you to go where Jesus sends you. You're not welcome here. Spirit of shame, you must stop speaking to these beloveds. They have been bought with a price. They are washed clean. They are clothed in the armor of God. Quiet your mouth and go where Jesus sends you. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord. And build your church. Purify your bride. Speak to each of us in a way that shows us that you see us, that you know us, and that you're for us. We renounce the lie that you've ever been anything less than that. Thank you for showing us that, Jesus. 
We honor and adore you this day. In your name we pray. Amen.